Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Good morning, Coastal Church. Woo, that's hot. My microphone is hot, and it's hot in here. It's hot. If you don't know Jesus, it's going to be a lot hotter. But anyway, amen, right? So all those old Baptists in the back row, amen, preacher, amen. You have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, we're continuing our study in the epistle of Hebrews. God has something to say to us, and it's through his word. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8. And Pastor Sean has been unpacking Hebrews for us this week, and it has been fantastic. I mean, this month and the last few since we moved in here, And it's been fantastic. And last week, Joey talked about Melchizedek. And if you're still confused about it, it's okay. Joey will be here afterwards to discuss that with you. Um, But Hebrews chapter 8 now, I think, is kind of the crescendo of the book of Hebrews because it kind of gives us the bottom line. And I'm a bottom line kind of guy. See, spot, run. That means spot runs, bottom line, right? And the writer of Hebrews kind of brings us to this point of getting us to the bottom line. So if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 8, if you don't have one, they're in the chair. If you don't own one, please take it with you. It's our gift from Coastal to you. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, beginning. Here is the main point. Our high priest sat down in the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. There he ministers in the sacred tent, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. And since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest since there were already there are already priests who offer the gifts required by the law of Moses they serve in a place of worship that is only a copy a shadow of the real one in heaven for when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle god gave him this warning be sure that you make everything according to the design i have shown you here on the mountain But our high priest has been given a ministry that is far superior to the ministry of those who serve under the old laws. 
For he is the one who guarantees for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But God himself found fault with the old one when he said, The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make when the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds so they will understand them. And I will write them on their hearts so they will obey them. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their family, saying, You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will already know me. And I will forgive their wrongdoings, and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he has made the first one obsolete. It is now out of date and ready to be put aside. Let's pray. And precious Father, in the next few moments, I pray that you would take these 13 verses through the power of your Holy Spirit and illuminate them to our lives. You would teach us the main point. You would bottom line it for us, Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord God, as always, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Greater than is the series, No Assembly Required. Parents, it's Christmas Eve. You buy a bunch of toys for your kids. You wait till then because... You want to do something with this guy called St. Nicholas or Santa Claus, and you want to put all these things together, and so that under the tree, your kids, like, all of a sudden think they magically appeared, and that they worked perfectly, and sometimes you're up till two, three, four, in my case, five in the morning, trying to put a bike together, looking and going, where is that part? when it said some assembly required. But what's so wonderful is to know that in salvation and in Jesus Christ, there is no more assembly. There's nothing more we have to do. Christ has done it all. And so the writer of Hebrews, what they do is they give us a main point. They bottom line it for us of those 13 verses that we read. And this is important for us because we need to understand what the main point is. And here it is. You ready? Now, Jesus Christ is the main point. He's the main point. I don't know about you, but that should excite you. It should jack you up. It should sugar and caffeine you. 
I have a little son. He's one and a half years old. His name is Stone Jedediah. Every time we give him sugar, he's jacked up. This is far better than any sugar he could get. Jesus Christ is the main point. See, here, we need to understand this church because this is why we're here. We're here because of the new covenant. We're here because of Christ. He's greater than the old covenant. He's greater than the old. In fact, God thought that that was insufficient. Why? Why is Jesus Christ the main point? What's the point here? There's three things that I want you to see in in terms of this passage. And then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of bottom line it at the end as he goes through and quotes Jeremiah. This is straight out of the scripture. The first one is this. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. He's our high priest. He's not just... He's just not just our high priest. He's our great high priest. No longer do we need to go to the temple to receive forgiveness for our sins. No longer do we need to bring a sacrifice to where the priest cuts it, bleeds it, burns it, and then eats it so that you can receive forgiveness. If you've ever read Leviticus, I mean, it's pretty bloody. It's pretty gory to pay for your sins. And in fact, in Jewish custom, let me give you a little bit of background here. In the Jewish custom is when you come into the temple, you bring a lamb with you for your family. Now, what's important to see is this, and I tried to do this with my family, but my wife's like, absolutely not. I'm like, let's bring a little lamb in. And let's, let's, let's love on the lamb. And so the lamb comes into your house and you know that you're going to the temple to sacrifice this lamb to pay for your sins, for your sins and the sins of your family. And so you bring the lamb into the house and I don't know if you've ever experienced a lamb, but it's cuter than a puppy. They're so innocent, they're so pure. They're dumb as rocks, but they're beautiful. And, and, you, and, and, and what happens is you get attached to the lamb and your kids get attached to the lamb. Then you go to the temple and you give this lamb up to the priest and the priest takes the lamb and he sticks it on the altar and he says, for the forgiveness of your sins and then he takes out a knife and he cuts the lamb's throat and bleeds it out all over the altar. Oh, gory. And all the kids and you watch as your puppy is slaughtered, I mean, your lamb is slaughtered. Where's PETA? What the heck? And it's bled out all over the altar. And the priest then looks and says, for your forgiveness of sins. And then they burn it up. And they light it on fire and burn up the lamb, cut the meat. And then in some cases, they actually, the priest then eats the meat. And they do this for individual families, and then they do this also for the entire nation of Israel. And once a year, then the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies after he's done this ceremony for the entire nation of Israel. And he goes behind the veil, and on his robe there are bells. 
Because if he goes in unworthy, if he goes in without, with, with any sin in his life that he hasn't actually had a, an animal sacrifice for, then he drops dead instantly. And so, so he ties a rope around his waist and he goes in. And if the bells stop ringing, the other priests on the other line know that he was not very smart and he's dead and they pull him out. And he goes into the Holy of Holies and he attends and it comes before the Lord. And on there, there's a mercy seat. And this is important. There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the mercy seat. And that's the seat that the Lord God of hosts is to sit on. And guess where it is? If I'm facing the Ark, it's to the left. It's to the right, the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. It's important for you to understand this because we, we need to understand then. Then the high priest then offers the forgiveness of sins for the people. And every year he does this. Every year they did this for the forgiveness of their sins as a people so that they could have relationship with God, so that they could have intimacy with God. See, do you realize that the whole issue here in, in Hebrews chapter eight, what he's talking about is intimacy? Intimacy is something that escapes and eludes our culture. We live in a world of people longing for intimacy. And let me tell you something, when you pull out your phone and you're doing, that's not intimate. If you're under the age of 25 and if you've ever broken up with a girl via text, or via Facebook, that's not intimacy. If you asked a girl out and you're under the age of 25 men via text or via Facebook, that's not intimacy. No, going up, I remember when I saw my wife and, and, and I wanted, I was like, man, and intimacy is not sex. Let me share that. I want to be intimate with this woman. I want to know her. Not biblically, but like right at first. But there's this sense that it's like, Wow. We're definitely going to have to use the, the tape for the 11.15 or the 11 o'clock because that was totally not in my notes. You guys get it free here, okay? But there's this sense that I saw her and I wanted to be intimate with her. And so what, what, did I, what, what was I going to do? I was going to do whatever I could do to get her attention. I wanted to do whatever I could do to make her like me so that we could be intimate and so love makes you do crazy things. So we're dating. And I liked her. And I wanted her to like me more. So I recognized that her tires were a little bald. So I'm like, hey, let's switch cars today. She's like, why? I was like, because I got a surprise for you. I got her new tires. Who does that? <laughs> Babe, loving you. Got your tires. She should have known then. No, but there was intimacy. I wanted to be intimate. I wanted to marry her. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. And so it, I was going to do whatever it took. And Israel wanted to be intimate with God. And God wanted to be intimate with Israel. And so we have the example of God saying, okay, the only way you can be intimate with, with me is through the sacrifice of the priest, of the bleeding of the lambs, of, of all of these things. The only way you can be intimate with me is this way. And God saw it and he looked and he says, it's not a great way. It's difficult. And so what he did was he said, hey, I'm going to make a better way. 
the better way was Jesus, our great high priest. He sympathizes with us. He's tempted like us, yet without sin. Pastor Sean talked about that. He's after the order of Melchizedek because here's the deal. According to the Jewish law, he's not a Levite. He's born of the tribe of Judah, which only the Levites could be high priests. But he's not after the order of Levi. He's after the order of Melchizedek. This is extremely important because otherwise he would have been disqualified to be a priest. But he's not disqualified because he's, as Pastor Joey spoke last week, he's after the order of Melchizedek. So that he can be our great high priest and he can be our sacrifice. That's what's so amazing here because look, there, look at verse two. There he ministers in the sacred tent, the true place of worship that was built by the Lord and not by human hands. So now we, what, 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 what the writer of Hebrews is saying is now our great high priest is in heaven. But like the high priest of old, he's not running around trying to minister to get relationship and intimacy for the people of Israel. Now our great high priest has already done it. So guess what he's doing? He walks into the place not built by human hands, the holy of holies, the throne room of God, and he sits. How can he sit? Look at number two, Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice because no more animal sacrifices are needed because he sacrificed himself. He's seated at the right hand of God. That's the place of honor and authority. He didn't need to stand anymore. In fact, in John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus Christ is hanging on the Roman cross, dying, the last words that he utters is to telestai, to telestai, which means it is finished. It's complete. No more assembly, no more action, no more works required. Sin, every sin that you've committed, past, present, and future, is paid for in that moment. That's why Jesus Christ is the main point. And you're like, well, people die all the time. But you know what? Then Jesus rose from the dead. Nobody rises from the dead proving that it was finished, proving that what he said on the cross was done. See, in the Greek, let me, to telestai really means this happened and it is still in effect today. It's this continual thing. Not to, not to bore you with some semantics, but it's really important that you understand this. Not only did it happen, but it's still in effect today. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. For all, all 12 of us, yeah. I'll have my, this is totally off, this is totally off. I'm gonna chase the bunny trail, I'm gonna come right back. But my son, anytime we go and everybody claps, he looks around while everybody's clapping. When everybody stops, he goes, oh. It's like he missed it. And some of you maybe are like, oh. It's this idea that it, it, no, the, Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice. I had a um, nothing more needed, no more required. 
I had a guy that used to work for me and one of the things that he used to do is he used to put me down and he used to put other people down to try to make himself feel better. It really insecure. Do you know the type that I'm talking about? And, and they're constantly just putting people down because, and it's funny and they're funny. And, and, and the whole thing is, is finally I just pulled him aside because he just kind of got old. It just gets old because then it becomes this banter and sometimes he says things that really kind of hurt someone's feelings. It just gets old. And we're supposed to be Christians, and so it's like we don't need to we don't need to have humor at other people's expense. And so so I so I so I sit down with him and I look and I said, listen, you're in. We like you. You got the job. You're here because God wanted you here. Stop trying to fit in. You're already in. See, once I married Holly, it's like I'm in. I got intimacy with her. I'm in. Now, do we have our issues? Absolutely. But here's the deal. I don't have to try to win her anymore. But guess what? I want to continue the relationship because I love her, but I don't have to try to win her because I don't have to worry about her leaving because we've made a marriage covenant. Jesus made, God made a new covenant through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ, the final sacrifice. And if you believe and receive Jesus Christ and you've received him into your life, guess what? You're in. You're in. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to make God like you. He loves you. If you're here this morning, John 3, 16, for God so loved the what? World. World. Are you part of the? Yeah. Guess what? God loves you. You don't have to do anything, but here's the deal. If you don't know Christ and you've never believed and received him into your life, then the reality is, is this. Guess what? You do need to do something. What do you have to do? There's not much you can do. You respond. And I don't know how this works because God chose me so that I could choose him and, and you can go through the semantics of it, but the reality is there is a response. And you may be here this morning and somebody might have drug you in here. Somebody might have made you come or you just thought the building was pretty and you decided to walk in. But the reality is, is it's the spirit of God might be here this morning and he might be drawing you right now to himself. And what's, what, what can you do? You can respond. Believe and receive. That's the tension that Pastor Sean always talks about. You believe and you receive Christ. But as many as believed, as many as received him, John 1, to them he gave the power to become children of God. There's one sacrifice. Christ made it. When you believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's nothing more needed, no more required. You can have intimacy with God. The problem is most of us don't enjoy our intimacy. What happens if I married my wife? We walked down the aisle. We kissed. I said, I'll see you once a week every Sunday. Peace. And I lived how I wanted no, that's what a lot of Christians do, though, right? To our shame. 
And then there's some Christians that, go, that, are, that I call CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. And they're like, hey, intimacy, God. See you Christmas. See you Easter. He's not a estranged family member. It's like he's an extended family member or something. No, intimacy. God wants intimacy with his children every day. Third thing is this. So as we look at this passage, and since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our priest must make an offering. Now, he made the sacrifice once and for all. But now there's a, there's, there's a shift here in the writing. It's important to see that you need to recognize that Jesus Christ is our minister now in the holies of holies. So here's the process now. So not only does he sacrifice and pay for our sins as the final sacrifice, but then we're not even good enough to continue on with it. He continues to minister for us and in us and through us and on behalf of us to keep that intimacy. Why? Because I can't keep it. Think about it this way. You have kids. If you have kids, I have a relationship with my kids because I do 100% of the work. Well, probably 98 of it. Why? I feed them. I clothe them. I, why? Because I love them. But the reason that I have a relationship with them is because I'm kind. And as they grow, it's reciprocated. But Stone, basically, he calls on me when he wants something. Da-da. Da-da. That's because he didn't get what he wanted from mom, and now he's asking dad. No, it's completely one-sided. But guess what? I continue to minister to him. I continue to love him. I continue to have relationship with him. And as he grows, he reciprocates. It's true earthly. How much more so is it true heavenly? Jesus Christ is our minister in the holy places under the new covenant. How do we know this? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Amen. How do you know? You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. God the Holy Spirit is in you. If God the Holy Spirit is not in you, you don't belong to him. It's what Romans chapter eight, verse nine says. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to God. So how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit of God in me? If you can sin and not feel bad about it, the Holy Spirit of God might not be in there because the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin. It's one of, one of the things he does. And so... It's the sense that because, and I'm going to transition here, because of Jesus Christ, we have a new covenant, God, the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we know this? We know it, we know it because Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven as at the right hand of the Father. We know this because God, the Holy Spirit, now is sealed within us as Christians, Right? Now, here's the beauty of the text here. Look at verse seven. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But God himself found fault with the old one when he said. 
So here's the deal. God had intimacy with Israel, but he wanted a greater intimacy. Holly and I dating was intimate, but I wanted a greater intimacy. So guess what I did? (laughs) Will you marry me? So I could have a greater intimacy. I took it up a notch. God, God himself took it up a notch, looking and saying, hey, you know what? I'm gonna, and I'm gonna do all the work by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, rising from the grave, giving us his Holy Spirit to seal us. Why? All, all for greater intimacy. Relationship. Look, read the end of the book. Read the end of the Bible. In Revelation chapter seven, it talks about what are we gonna do? We're gonna worship God for all eternity in intimacy, unbroken. And everyone here that is insecure and longing and lonely, all of those things will be gone because we'll be with Christ in our new glorified bodies for all eternity. Five things that you need to see here that the writer of Hebrews gives us from the book of Jeremiah, and it's really important to understand this because this is the new covenant. This is our covenant because of Christ, because of his shedding of the blood, because of his sacrifice. Here they are. Number one, obedience to God's commandments in their minds. So because of the Holy Spirit, I can live in obedience to God's commandments, and they're in my mind. If you've heard me speak before, I always talk about the prison cell. Christ has opened the prison cell. He set the captives free. We're free to walk out because we're no longer in sin. We're no longer bound by our sin. And we're there to walk in obedience. Okay, before, the Bible says you're dead in your sin. You're, you're a slave to sin, the Apostle Paul says. But the jail cell is open But some Christians choose to sit in the open jail cell because they like it better. They miss out on the abundant life that Christ has given them in obedience. Think about it this way. It's like a parachute. People look and go, well, that's not freedom if I have to live in obedience. Think about it this way. In a parachute, I have to wear, you, you go on a plane, you wear a parachute, okay? Why are you wearing a parachute? Because you know at 50,000 feet, the, the tail section of the plane's gonna come off, the door's gonna open, and you can jump out and land safely. Okay? You start telling everybody, hey, wear a parachute, wear a parachute. Now, the flight's really, really, really long. It's a 19-hour flight. 17 hours have gone by. You've been wearing this parachute. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. The stewardess spills coffee on you. Everybody starts making fun of you that don't have a parachute on. What an idiot. Thinks the plane's going down. You look and go, yeah, maybe I am an idiot. No, here's the reality. The reality is the parachute's gonna save my life. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but you know what? I don't mind. Because once the tailwind, once the, once the back of the plane rips off and I jump off to safety, in fact, not only am I gonna enjoy my parachute, but I'm gonna try to get everybody on the plane to wear the parachute as well. If the gospel is not that in your life and you think you're doing God a favor by wearing God's salvation, 
You're sorely mistaken and you misunderstand that you think salvation is all about you. It's all about God. And God restoring our relationship with him and giving us a greater covenant, a greater intimacy. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying and he's talking to these people that wanna go back to Judaism and they wanna go back to trying to keep the law. And he's saying, you're missing out. This covenant's far better. Why do you wanna go do that? Christ has given us the final sacrifice dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the grave. He's given us the Holy Spirit of God and we can live in obedience to him. That's not bondage, that's freedom. Because he's given us eternal life. Second, write God's commands on their hearts. What's the new covenant? It writes God's commands on their hearts. Our hearts. Because of the Holy Spirit, Galatians chapter five, give the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit of God. It's written on my heart. So these things are gonna be evident in my life. Number three, God will be theirs and they will be his people. I love this because this involves ownership. This involves that God counted me valuable enough to adopt me as his child. When I had nothing to offer, nothing to give, I was a lifeless, dead, rebellious child and God adopted me. He loves me. He loves you this morning. God will be theirs and they will be his people. Number four, writer of Hebrews in Jeremiah writes, they will be able to know God. I wrote this next to it, right, right, right in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is what the apostle Paul says about this. For the natural man can't understand the things of God for they're spiritually discerned, and neither can he know them. Now, here's the deal. The Apostle Paul is saying this, and the writer of Hebrews is saying this indirectly. The writer of Hebrews is saying this, but the Apostle Paul says it directly. You're not able to know God apart from the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, if you read the Bible without the Holy Spirit, it doesn't make any sense to you. You have to believe and receive Christ before you understand the Scripture before you have that intimacy with God. First Christ, then intimacy. That was, that's God's plan. We'll be able to know him. And not just know him, but know him intimately. Why? Because not only did he die for us, but then he, through God the Holy Spirit, came to live in us. We can know him and be known by him. And the fifth thing about the new covenant that God has given to us is this, their sins will be forgotten. Their sins will be forgotten. 
don't think about your sins, but just think about this, that every single sin that you've ever committed, the things that you think about, maybe have popped in your head right now that you're ashamed of, that have happened in your life, that, have, that you've done or it's been done to you, or, or think about just sin in general. When you believed and received the final sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it's finished, no more necessary. Christ has done it and he's taken the sins and they're gone. Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12 says, for his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Basically, when east and west cross, he'll remember our sins. If I go forever and infinity in east, and in forever and infinity in west, we will never, ever, ever, ever cross. That's what he does with our sins. That's why at the cross, when he says, it is finished, it's finished, it's done. What's the sin that's holding you back? What's the sin you keep running back to? Maybe it's the little click of the mouse. Maybe it's a little cell phone conversation did you hear about, one to share with you about. Maybe it's the fact that you want to be in control. What's that sin that you keep running back to? God will forget it. We might not forget it, but God will forget it. Why? Because he paid for it on the cross. Every sin that you've ever committed. It's believing and receiving that. We can know God intimately only through Jesus Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read just verse 10 of Philippians chapter three. The apostle Paul says it so well. He says, I wanna know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. The apostle Paul's saying, listen, here it is. I can have intimacy with God only through Jesus Christ. And so because of, it's only through Jesus Christ, I want to know Christ. I want to be intimate with Christ. I want, to, I want my life to be in connection with Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that. That's the reason for the new covenant. That we're no longer a slave, but we're free. And some of you here would say, well, it's all the same, Buddha, Muhammad. Maybe you're here in you're like, as long as we just believe it sincerely, it's gonna probably work its way out. And the reality is this. Yes, sincerity is important. But it's like two men on the scaffolding. When the scaffolding crumbles, one man, both men grabbed a rope. One rope was firmly secured. The other rope was tied to some pipe. The three stories, the scaffolding felled. The one that was holding on to the, the pipe pulled the pipe with him to his death. The one that was firmly secured lived. No, it matters what your rope is tethered to. And ours is tethered to an event, a person, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, but then rose from the dead, and the tomb is empty. Christ is risen, and because of that, therefore, we have not only hope, not only faith, but we have an assurance that Christ is, is who he said he is. God Almighty, who can pay for our sins. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's the new covenant. Either you're a part of the new covenant or you're not. 
kind of what he's saying. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never received Jesus Christ, if maybe you're here and saying, you know what, I've never believed and received, here's my prayer that you would believe and receive right now, Jesus Christ. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. Believe and receive Jesus Christ right now. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Stop playing games. God wants intimacy with us. He's provided the way through his son, Jesus Christ, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to seal it. And the Holy Spirit of God is probably working in your heart right now, and all you need to do is respond. Just respond. Just respond. Let's pray. If you've never received Jesus Christ, this is what you say. You say, Jesus, come into my life. Right now in your heart, quietly. Jesus, come and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave. And I give you my life. Make me part of your new covenant. And precious Father, I pray for those that have believed and received you as Lord and Savior. And I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would do a work in their life. You would do a work in their life, Lord God, that you would seal them through the power of your Holy Spirit, as your word says, for the day of redemption. You would continue to minister on our behalf, Lord God, in the heavenlies. I pray for those that are in bondage to their sin, Lord God. They're saved, they've believed and received, but they're in bondage to sin. I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive them, Father. They would feel and believe that forgiveness. They would recognize that their sin has been paid for on the cross. And Lord God, they would walk in newness of life. Help them to stop carrying that around, Lord God. Help them to release that to you, Lord Jesus, because you are ministering in the heavens, Lord God, right now to the Father. That we can walk in our obedience, Lord God. You've put it in our mind. You've put it in our hearts. Because of your son, Jesus Christ, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth. We love you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.